Hello and welcome to Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction brought to you by the Modular Building Institute. Welcome everyone. My name is John McMullen and I'm the marketing director here at MBI. Today I'm talking with Bruce Talley, Chief Operating Officer at OFC Incorporated. Bruce is here to discuss the crisis in Ukraine and what modular manufacturers and dealers need to know if they're interested in helping in the relief effort. Bruce, thanks for being here. Thanks a lot, John. Uh, so let's dive right in. Uh, tell me about yourself, Bruce. What's your background with OFC and, and what piqued your interest in modular and offsite construction? Bit of a story, John. I, uh, I started out, worked in investment banking for a long time, uh, bond issues, loan participations. Then I grew interested in, of all places, Russia. I went to southern Russia, uh, bought and sold commercial land, and eventually started in, and uh, ran what became the largest destination management company in Sochi before the Olympic Games there. Mm-hmm. So we employed about 60 people. We, we did uh, workforce relocation together with financial management of the contracts. We did TV studios, offices, warehouses, staffing, translators, transportation systems, laundry, you name it, for the Olympic broadcasters, partners, and sponsors that were there for the two or three year period before the games. And really, this was my entree into modular building because a a real dynamic guy named uh, Michael Pitts approached me in 2012, and he had the idea of providing housing, which was in real short supply in Sochi. Mm-hmm. Sochi's a very narrow city stuck between the Black, uh, Black Sea and the Caucasus Mountains. He had the idea of providing housing solutions to the organizing committee. What Michael proposed, and really Michael and I proposed the organizing committee, was using cargo container conversions and or other modular solutions for uh, the ceremonies folks. They had about 2,000 people that they were employing and there really wasn't a good housing solution. Lots of small off-grid mini hotels and and things like that. But in order to put 2,000 people in one place where you can house, secure, feed, and then transport them to and from uh, the uh, Olympic Stadium, that was our, our solution. Ultimately, the solution didn't didn't pan out with the organizing committee. They spent an absolute fortune on bringing in several uh, cruise ships. But it intrigued me, uh, the ideas, the usages of modular housing, and especially cargo container conversions in these kinds of situations, disasters, uh, uh, whether it's uh, climate-related or uh, conflict Uh, refugees or internally displaced people uh, as a result of conflict. It's clear that um, modular building is going to be a really important feature all over the world going going forward. So you mentioned conflict, and really there's uh, one big one in the world that everyone's talking about now. Of course, that's the the war in Ukraine. Uh, You have an extraordinarily broad business background. It's taken you all over the world. But tell me about your connection with, with Ukraine. Certainly. Living in provincial Russia for about 10 years, I also uh, spent a good deal of time in Ukraine. A lot of the cities that you hear in the news, I've been to multiple times. Kiev, Kharkiv, Kherson, uh, Simferopol, Mykolaiv, Odessa. So I, I know the country very well. I was there for personal reasons and also investigating opportunities. Spent a lot of time. And uh, of course, 
despite the war, there have always been some cultural similarities between Russia and Ukraine. So it's an interesting country, has some differences. And, and uh, so I, I learned quite a bit about Ukraine during my decade or so in Russia. Since then, since the conflict has started, I've been over there several times for extended periods to gather information, talk to friends, see what's happening on the ground, and also to uh, take over medical supplies to foreign legion, the foreign legion that's been operating there. So what have you seen there since the war started? What are the conditions on the ground that you've witnessed? You know, it's, it's, um, it, it really has varied from region to region in Russia, and in, I'm sorry, in Ukraine. Western part of Ukraine, uh, until last night in Lviv, particularly hadn't been hit very hard with shelling. I understand that Lviv was again hit last night, hadn't been hit too badly. But the further east you go, the, the you know, and of course south, the the more devastating the the uh, destruction, the damage, and the in the human human loss and human tragedies have been. Um, Kiev, the center had some damage, not a lot at that time or during the times that I was there. I was in Kharkiv and it was really uh, horrific to see the difference. And Kharkiv was a large city, second largest in the country, a lot of young people there, a number of universities and very close to the Russian border. So it was shelled at the time that I was there, shelled before, shelled after. And I went through a region called Saltivka and I've been there multiple times, you know, 10 years, eight years, 12 years ago. And this region uh, had has large apartment blocks, some of them several blocks long. And I'm thinking of an area specifically that was maybe a mile and a half long, six, 800 yards wide, and had dozens of these very large apartment buildings with hundreds and hundreds of apartments in each one. Each of these buildings has sustained enough damage to render it in total uninhabitable. There are some individual apartments that people can live in. There's a couple of percent of people that probably still are, are, are living there, aged people that don't have other alternatives. But around there uh, in Saltivka, you saw the smaller kind of neighborhood grocery stores also been shelled, shot out. These are maybe 800 to two or 3,000 square feet. And then the large market, which isn't too far away, large outdoor market suffered a great deal of damage. The the center with uh, where all the fruits, vegetables, dairy products are sold, badly damaged, and literally hundreds and hundreds of metal kiosks around selling everything from tennis shoes to, you know, batteries, all very badly damaged. Um, and, and I know that your listeners have probably seen video and pictures there, but it, mm -hmm. it's absolutely the case. They, they've done a great job of representing the damage. Um, and of course, in some of these smaller cities that were occupied by uh, separatists and by the Russian military, you know, those, those, some of those are just completely devastated. So with, with all the damage that you've just recounted in, a, in all different types of, of buildings, living, you know, multifamily buildings, markets, storefronts, what's, what's the best solution to get structures in place, you know, now or, or in the short term? Are, are there different types of solutions that you're thinking about might work? Or is, would one be better than the other? What, what do you think? Well, I think it's going to depend somewhat on preferences. You know, you have in Ukraine, 
some of the power has been devolved from the central government to municipalities. That's always been an issue in that part of the world. And the inclination, I think, now is that uh, mayors don't want to necessarily hand that back. So th that decentralization does allow for a more case-by-case -case solution, which I think is always better, right? Um, and, and I think that you're going to have different problems in different cities. And I think you're going to have different solutions that are going to work. I think you're going to have a little different perspective. Several of the cities in the West I've had conversations with, extensive conversations with, about what the recovery might look like. Are they building temporary? Are they building permanent? Um, so I don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all for any of these. I think that some of the cities are going to opt for relatively inexpensive temporary uh, accommodations that can ultimately be moved, repurposed, sold. Some of them are talking about uh, solutions that may be more permanent, but uh, still can be rapidly constructed, you know, other kinds of modular solutions. So I'm sorry if I've been sort of vague there, but I don't see a, 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 a perfect answer that uh, encapsulates how, how it's going to happen. I will say that housing has got to be a, a key part of it because yeah. in the small towns you'll see a lot of these homes have been they may be single family homes relatively small in size but they may have been occupied by russian soldiers and completely trashed mm. in the apartment buildings and they'll have those these large apartment blocks even in a relatively small city of you know 10 or twenty thousand people you'll have some of these areas that are comprised mostly of uh, fairly large apartment buildings. A lot of those have been damaged in the, in the small cities and, and of course in the larger cities. So it's going to be, uh, I think housing is going to be necessary. We can look at uh, opportunities in schools. Um, many of these uh, large apartment buildings will have uh, a preschool on the, on the bottom floor. So those have been badly damaged. And I think that, you know, I look at cargo container conversions for some of the uh, some of the stores and some of the kiosks around the markets. I think those can be an, an excellent um, quick solution. So you mentioned earlier the the decentralization of power. I could see that certainly being a challenge to getting you know different types of buildings into different places and and get relief where it needs to go. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak to that just for a second and, and perhaps also about what other challenges uh, there may be to getting modular or container-based buildings built uh, in Ukraine now? Yeah, it's a great question, John. Logistics are going, to be, uh, are going to be and currently are a big issue. Right now, there are long lines across the border into Ukraine from Poland, which has really become the primary point for uh, you know, goods, that have been been shipped in. So that's that's going to be a big issue. How do you get materials in? And of course, workforce. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to drive a lot of this. The mayors are very sensitive to the idea that, look, their folks have been out of country in some cases for more than six months. Have they begun to rebuild a life in Poland or the Netherlands or Germany or Romania or someplace else? And so what will bring people back and this prospect of employment. So I think that's something that's really driving a conversation in Kyiv, but also on the, as you say, on the municipal level and outside of 
Kiev, there's a strong possibility of a development park being put in, and we're looking to participate there. This development park would allow uh, companies to bring in products and goods and uh, show what they can do. What about financing? Uh, how, how would that be handled? Well, I, I think that's really going to drive everything. There's been the, the beginnings of conversations about this and some very well-placed people with the German Marshall Fund have been talking about it. And the, the thinking is, I think right now, since the United States has taken the lead on providing the military equipment, the ammunition, uh, artillery, all this, that probably the European Union will have a bigger stake in the, in the rebuilding effort. So there'll be a lot of American money. There'll be a lot of European money. There'll be British, I suppose, Canadian, uh, Japanese, and other participants as well. But it looks to me like there, there will be a tremendous amount of money. There's probably going to be uh, a serious look at uh, systemic reforms in Ukraine so that investors or donors um, from from these uh, large economies can be relatively confident that the money's not going to disappear. So there mm-hmm. probably will be, be systemic reforms. There will probably be some looking at building codes, those kinds of things to make sure that they're, you know, in line with European standards. And um, so I think that's where the money will come from. I think my personal opinion is that American companies and Canadian companies as well, European companies are going to have a real advantage because these are the the economies, these are the governments, these are the people that have been very supportive of Ukrainian war effort. And I can tell you, John, that in traveling around in Poland and especially Ukraine, I don't think I've ever been any place uh, in my lifetime, and I've traveled to more than 60 countries, I don't think I've been any place that is as pro-American as, as I say, as Poland and especially, especially Ukraine are right now. People would hear my American accent and give me free rides. Wow. And this is in a place where uh, fuel has gotten very, very expensive because of the war. I would imagine. So obviously, I mean, the, the war is ongoing. A lot of things are up in the air in terms of, you know, logistic financing, everything. But let's say let's say the war ends tomorrow. Uh, you've talked about the immediate needs for housing, uh, for some you know social infrastructure. But let's let's look at the next three to five years. H- how do you think that's going to look in terms of you know rebuilding? That's a l- little bit of a difficult question for me to answer because there are so many unknown unknowns here. Sure. Um, it's it's going to be hard. I, I, I mean, at different times in this process, I'll begin to feel a little more optimistic that you know, uh, the Russian military may collapse and this thing could end quicker than we think. Mm-hmm. And then, and of course, this isn't based upon my feelings. Clearly, there's going to be a great deal of infrastructure that needs to be rebuilt around the country. You know, bridges, tra- train stations, hospitals, uh, these are absolutely critical. And and uh, I'm not sure anybody's got an ar- their arms around exactly how bad the situation is. And then I think you have to think about housing and employment. So what it looks like, I don't know. I know that some of the people are talking about an American recovery co- coordinator because U.S. It, American credibility and prestige 
may be important in, in pulling all this together. There's talk that uh, there may be some form of war insurance. So if you're going in directly with your people, with your, your plant, with your operations, perhaps there's a way that that can be secured so that you're not taking quite as big a risk in an, in an area that's seen, you know, the worst conflict Europe has had mm -hmm. since 1945. So I've been following on LinkedIn uh, for a while. There are a few manufacturers that are up, up and running and, and manufacturing in Ukraine right now. But let's say you're based in America or Canada or Europe. What would a modular manufacturer or developer need to know to get started? You know, clearly you've got to think about transporting supplies, about your location, about the uh, legal environment on the ground. There are a lot of things to consider. Are you bringing your employees in? What does that look like in terms of uh, employment uh, law in Ukraine? A lot of issues. If a company wants to do that, I think they should contact me. We have legal resources. We have cultural understanding. We speak uh, Russian. Some of our associates clearly speak Ukrainian as well. So I think that the, the short answer is contact us, contact me. Um, but uh, in the long run, there's a, there's a pretty good learning curve there. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, of what's going to happen is going to go through Poland in one form or another. So that's, a, that's going, to, going to be, I, I believe, jumping, uh, jumping off point. Clearly, Warsaw is going to be an important city for the near future. Mm -hmm. well, I know there's a good modular community in Poland that um, are, are members of MBI. Uh, so hopefully that can uh, serve as a little touch point for uh, people in the industry looking to connect both with you and, and, the, and the greater industry going into Ukraine. Uh, Bruce, I, I really appreciate your time today. I don't know if you have anything else that you uh, feel that manufacturers or, or developers need to know in order to you know, stay engaged and, and get involved. Yeah, thanks, John. I, I believe that there's a big opportunity for modular builders to take part, to add value uh, in Ukraine, to help ease suffering, and uh, to make some money. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, that's what's going to drive this. And this, I'm sure this will be the, the largest reconstruction effort, maybe in the world, since 1945. And in, in dollar terms, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's really going to be massive. The estimates range from multiple hundreds of billions of dollars on up. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity there. So well, I think, you know, definitely is. There's a lot, of, a lot of buildings to build, a lot of people to help. Uh, so I'm sorry we're here. I, yeah. I Wish we were not, but in terms of you know opportunities for the industry, this certainly is one. Uh, and I hope that uh, speaking for the industry, I hope that we can be of all the assistance we can be. You know, I wanted to add one more thing, John. You, you, when we're talking about uh, getting involved in Ukraine, there is a steep learning curve. There are uh, cultural and legal barriers that will be new to, especially to North American companies. So it's possible. But um, if a manufacturer, a builder wants to acquire our abilities, our knowledge, our culture, cultural understanding and, and language skills and uh, ability to, to bridge that cap, I, you know, I think we can we can do that very well. Well, excellent. Excellent. I appreciate it, Bruce. Uh, and you are, are with OFC Incorporated. What's your website and how do people get in contact with you? Uh, oh, fci.com and i can be reached at b 
bt at ofci.com. And that's in case not, it wasn't clear, that's O as in Oscar, F as in Frank, C as in Charlie, I as in India.com. Awesome. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, again, I really appreciate your time today. Uh, very important information. Uh, I hope eventually things will turn around. We can get people the help that they need. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to avert one's eyes when you see all the, the, the suffering. All right, Bruce, thank you so much. My name is John McMullen, and this has been another episode of Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction. Until next time.